So we're getting settled in up here. All right, cool. All right. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Doing good? All right, cool. Um, nice and relaxed attitude. I like it. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Blake, and I serve here as the Director of Discipleship and Outreach at Terra Nova Church. Um, so what that means is, uh, as far as, a, as discipleship goes, I get to work really closely with um, our tribe leaders and um, aim to kind of cultivate a um, Christ-centered community among the church body. And I get to work with our youth, um, which just kicked off last weekend, um, which is really exciting. I'm excited for that part of my, my role here. And then the other part of outreach, where we recognize that at Terra Nova Church, we are embedded into a downtown community where we want to serve and be a reflection of Jesus, not only inwardly in this community, but also out to the community that we find ourselves in. Um, so that's kind of my role. I just wanted to share that with you. The other thing I get to do is, is preach every once in a while, which is what I'm doing right now. Um, in case you were aware, I don't handle our technical stuff, obviously. Um, so anyway, that's me. Um, so recently, well, actually not recently, for quite some time now, um, I think over a year, correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Tori, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, right, for, for a long time. Um, but more recently, um, kind of ever since we broke, from, broke out of our summer series in the Psalm, Psalms, um, we've been in this little kind of like mini-series in the Gospel of Matthew where, where we see Jesus finally arrive in Jerusalem, and he's being challenged by these religious leaders. So um, Jesus, historically in the gospel, right, that we've been working through for years, Jesus is kind of outside of Jerusalem, and he's, he's healing sick people, and he is teaching this um, message that is kind of authoritative and, and different, and he's doing all this cool stuff, and he's got a lot of people following him, right, on the outskirts of this city. And then he goes to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the place of kind of God's um, presence, right, among the people of Israel. It's like, it's the center hub for Judaism, right? So he shows up in Jerusalem, and, and like you would expect, people are really excited about it because he's been doing all these crazy things. People have been hearing about him, so he shows up in Jerusalem. People are excited. They praise him. They're not really sure who he is, but they know he's from God. Um, and it's this really interesting moment that Jesus has riding into Jerusalem. And then we see Jesus go to the temple, Right? And the temple is the place of intimacy between God and his people. Right? So Jesus shows up there. This guy whose people are following him, people are watching him, he shows up and he looks around and he sees that the religious leaders, the people who are supposed to be shepherding the people of Israel, the people who are supposed to be teaching them God's word and helping them grow in community, have turned the temple uh, or allowed the temple to become a place of business where people are trying to make money off of this sacrificial system that God had set up there. So Jesus turns over the temples, and he kicks everybody out, and he brings in the outcasts, right? He does some, some stuff, and, um, and people praise him there as well. And the religious leaders don't like it. They are not happy about that because Jesus is accruing a lot of influence and power, and he's teaching people something contrary to what the religious leaders were teaching at the time. And at the same time, the religious leaders are losing their power, and they're losing their sense of status. They're losing their prestige, everything that they hold dear, right? So what happens is different leaders are approaching Jesus. You know, you have all these religious leaders, different groups among them, and the different groups go, and they say, hey, Jesus, 
and they provide a challenge to him. They try to get him to say something or do something that would lead to his demise, that would lead to him losing his power that he's accumulated, losing his influence, losing the people that are following him so that they can gain their power back. Right? And so that's what we've been working through. We've seen time and time again over the last like month and a half, these religious leaders approach Jesus and try to trick him and fail, and then this other group approach Jesus and try to trick him and fail, and that's kind of where we land today. Right? We're in another and the last moment where we see a group of religious leaders approach Jesus and try to um, get him to mess up. Right? So our message today is twofold, though. So our first part of our message today is going to be this final challenge that we see from the Pharisees to Jesus. But then the second part of our message, Jesus is now going to end the challenges and begin to turn the tables. Right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders had been the ones who were initiating challenge. Jesus is going to respond and, and finalize that. And now he's going to turn the tables in the, ne- in the upcoming weeks and start initiating challenges back to the Pharisees. And it's pretty harsh um, what he has to say to them. Um, so that's kind of what the journey is going to be like today. Um, and we'll get into the main idea in a second. But before we do, I just want to throw out there that throughout the message, we're going to have some time to reflect. Um, so we're going to hear this like final, um, this challenge from the Pharisees. And oftentimes when the Pharisees are challenging Jesus, we tend to find that we're kind of similar to the Pharisees in our misunderstanding. So we're going to have some time to reflect on what's being exposed in our hearts. Um, we're going to reflect on some theological truths Jesus is presenting, reflect on a lot of different things. And I say that because I just want to prepare you. There's going to be a time where I step away for a couple of minutes, there's music on, and you're going to have time to either meditate or journal or pray. Um, I just encourage you to engage with that. We really believe that we we want you to engage with the word of God yourself. Um, So please take that time. And there's going to be a time where the band comes up and sings sings a song and you're able to reflect again. Um, And then we're going to reflect one last time as we prepare for communion um, at the end of our service here. So I just want to give you a heads up. That's on the radar, so don't be alarmed when I step away for a little bit. Um, everybody all right with that? Everybody has their journal ready to go? Yeah, I don't see any. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I see lots. I hope our youth, I gave all of you youth a journal. I hope you have it with you. Um, all right, so our main idea for today. There you go. I see it back there. Um, true discipleship. This is the main, the big picture for today, and it's going to be on the screen. True discipleship is motivated by love and founded upon an accurate understanding of who Jesus is. True discipleship, motivated by love, founded upon an understanding of who Jesus is. So how are we going to get there today is two ways. First, we're going to look at this first exchange between the Pharisees and Jesus, and we're going to see that the Pharisees misunderstand what it looks like to pursue a relationship with God. Um, And we're... And and then next, in the second exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, we're going to look at the fact that the Pharisees also have a misunderstanding of who the Messiah was, the identity of Jesus. And all of that is going to be aimed at um, our own selves, challenging our own selves, our motivations for how we go about our lives. What are we motivated by? What are we motivated, motivated by even as we pursue our relationship with God? And then also, what is our understanding of the role of Jesus in our lives? Right? Are we like the Pharisees in that? So those are the, that's the way we're going to get to that big point. Um, 
and we're going to dive right in. So our first point, our first scripture comes out of Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. If you want to turn there, great. If not, it's going to be right up on the screen behind me. Um, and I'm going to read it. I don't know if the translations match or not, but I'm reading out of the ESV. Um, and it says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. So the Sadducees had just challenged Jesus, and Jesus silenced them, right? That's another one of the um, conflicts that, that was, or challenges that was brought to Jesus. So the Pharisees get together. And one of them, an expert in the law or a lawyer, right? They're throwing their best guy at Jesus, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So at first glance, it seems like a pretty common response, pretty common approach. Um, It's about an approach to God. Love God, love others, right? That's something we hear frequently. It's kind of the the foundation of discipleship, which it is. But in the context of this challenge, there's a lot more going on. The Pharisees ask, what is the greatest commandment? Not Not because they're simply curious from Jesus. It's another trap. It says it right in the text. They're trying to test Jesus, And what's happening is that this question is likely a question that was circulating um, among Jewish leaders as a topic that was hotly debated among Jewish leaders and Jewish teachers. It was really common at the time for Jewish teachers to give this kind of hierarchy of moral values on different commandments in scripture. So they were trying to figure out which commandments should I really follow, which ones are more valuable to God. Um, and that's a conversation they would have a lot. And it, would, and it exposes, though, a certain view that the Pharisees had about scripture, um, that it's all about rules and all about just doing what you need to do to do it well. Right? And in those debates, though, the debates that they would have, just like debates today, different groups of people would land in different areas and realms within the debate. So what the Pharisees are trying to do with this question is to get Jesus to identify himself with one of the groups that makes a statement about this question. Because if he identifies with a smaller group, everybody else who thinks differently on this big topic will no longer follow him. So the Pharisees are trying to dwindle his influence and, and pull him away from some of his followers. So Jesus's answer is really profound. He says, love God and love others. He gives those two commandments, but his final statement is what makes it really profound. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He doesn't just provide the commandments. He steps out of the bounds of the question and shows what's at the heart of Scripture itself, all of Scripture. The Pharisees, who are these rule-following, self-righteous leaders are looking to see from God which is the most important thing to do so that I can go ahead and and be righteous in my own sense. And they misunderstood scripture. And Jesus points them to the heart of scripture, that all of the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, when we're talking about the law and the prophets, it's, it's the summary of the Old Testament, are based in love. Right? So when you have an understanding of the Old Testament, that the Old Testament scriptures are this narrative Right? We look back at the Old Testament and we see that God's, God creates right, at the beginning. 
God creates humanity and has an original design for humanity that human beings would flourish, right? He creates Adam and Eve, and he, he tells them to, to cultivate life and to spread out among the world and to, to have dominion, right, and love God well. They were in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another, right? And then scripture reveals that humans corrupt that original design, and they try to be like God and, and become enslaved to sin and desires to be like God and hold the place of sovereignty that we don't actually have the ability to hold. And so the whole of the Old Testament after that fall, after the third chapter in the Bible, right, reveals these guidelines from God to humans for their flourishing in the midst of that broken world, Right? So the Old Testament is still aimed at that original tension. It's, it's helping people to see, how do I flourish even in the midst of a broken world? And it deals with every facet of life. And this is what Jesus connects to this question. What's the greatest commandment? God reveals himself and his original design for people in Scripture. And he outlines how people should flourish in Scripture. And Jesus here expresses that the purpose of life right, comes out of this place of love for God and love for people. And the Pharisees had gotten it wrong, realizing that the spirit of the Old Testament was aimed at love. It's aimed at human flourishing. It's aimed at, in my actions, in my motivations, am I, am I aimed at loving God? Right? Am, I, am I trying to love God and love people? The Pharisees missed it and focused on the structure itself. Right? The Old Testament set up this structure of guidelines on how to do it, so the Pharisees used that as the measure of their own righteousness. Life for the Pharisees was this hierarchy of righteousness. It was a ladder for them, for power and for success and for prestige. Right? They took God's creative order and they turned it into something that highlighted them. It's original sin. Right? They missed the point of God's word, even according to their faith, life became a pursuit of power. Right? So Jesus here is calling them out. Their approach to life wasn't motivated out of this sense of awe or commitment or astonishment at who God was and a love for his creation. It was motivated out of a love for self, and he points that out by showing them that all of life in the Old Testament scriptures is aimed at, motivated by love for God and love for others. Right? The Pharisees ask, how can I better myself? How can I flourish in my own sense? How can I hold power over other people? How can I be successful? How can I fulfill my plans that I have for myself? Right? So that's the Pharisees, and that's a good time for us to pause, though, and reflect and consider, where might I do this myself? We can be really similar to the Pharisees here, caught up in the pursuit of self in every facet of life. Right? The Pharisees were professional religious leaders, but Old Testament speaks to every facet of life. In life, are we caught up in the pursuit of ourselves, in the pursuit of what we think we want, and, and try to be sovereign in our own life and miss the point to life that is motivated out of love for God and love for humanity. So Jesus here challenges us to consider our motivations for how we approach life. Right? So this is the time where we're going to pause. Um, I'm going to step away for a couple minutes. I'm going to have some questions up on the screen um, to really meditate on. If, if journal, I would encourage you to journal through these. Um, but here are the questions. In my pursuits, my goals, my aspirations, 
Am I motivated out of my love for God? Or am I motivated out of my love for self? What motivates me in my relationships, the way that I engage with other people? What am I motivated by? And when I realize those things, what does it reveal about my heart? So we're transitioning now out. That's, that's kind of the final challenge, right, from the Pharisees, where they, they come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to post, get him involved in this debate that's circulating, and he steps outside of it and says, hey, you don't understand the scriptures at all, right? Your whole life is aimed at something it shouldn't be aimed at. Um, and it's convicting to us, because it, it helps us to recognize, hey, where, where are my motivations off? Even when I do good things, even when I, I love people, or even when I engage with people and I think I'm doing good, are my motivations right? Um, and it's challenging. But we're transitioning out of those challenges that we've seen into a time where Jesus is going to initiate some stuff to the Pharisees. And in the weeks coming, like I said, he's going to say some pretty harsh things to the Pharisees. Um, but before we get into that, and we're going to look at one more passage of scripture later on as we close um, and reflect on communion. But before we get into that, I want to give us space to meditate on what God has been doing in us for the last month or two that we've been working through these challenges. Right? In these exchanges where the, the religious leaders come up to Jesus and um, challenge him in certain ways, Jesus exposes a lot of different things in them. And as we just kind of journeyed through, a lot of times we find ourselves, maybe we don't like it, but we find ourselves kind of similar to the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whoever it is. They misunderstand scripture and they, they act in a way that they put themselves in the place of God in their own lives or they, they act a certain way that they say they might be godly, but they act this way instead, right? And, and we do the same thing oftentimes, right? We don't always bear fruit. We don't always um, live according to the way that we, we say we ought to, right? And it's, it's common. It's, it's sin. It's original sin in all of us that we all share. So when we see these challenges, though, from the Pharisees, Jesus is speaking harshly back to them, and it's, it's convicting of our own hearts and convicting in our own lives. Um, so when we recognize that, a huge part of the discipleship journey, right, if you're a follower of Jesus, a huge part of that is taking the time to engage with what God is revealing to us. Right? So the discipleship journey looks like God revealing something to us about himself. Right? Jesus, in these passages, is authoritative, and he's teaching about scripture and all of these things, and, and he reveals truth to us, and it convicts our hearts. And then out of that conviction, we engage, and out of that conviction and confession, right, that we recognize we are flawed people, we engage differently in our surroundings and, and reflect, aim to reflect Jesus in our surroundings. That's the discipleship journey. And I want to give us an opportunity to do that as we kind of close down this mini-series of challenge after challenge after challenge where our hearts are being exposed. And, and as we do that, um, and the reason why I want to do that is twofold. One, it's helpful for our discipleship journey. Right? It's helpful for us to analyze where are we at in our relationship with God as we grow. We're coming out of the summer. Um, life's maybe picking up a little bit. Let's take some time to step back and reflect, take some stock in where I'm at in my relationship with God. And two, a lot of us are in tribes, our church small groups. You don't know what tribes are, there are church small groups. And we're starting up tribe season. Right? So as we approach tribes and approach gathering together in smaller groups to do life together, right? let's take stock in where am I at? So that I can bring it to tribe and, and be honest about, hey, this is where I'm struggling. This is where God's convicting me. And I can grow in these areas in community together. 
That's how we believe discipleship happens among, among the body. So we're giving you this opportunity to reflect now and, and take it back with you to your smaller communities. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through just like one or two sentences of each of the kind of teachings that we've experienced in this little mini-series, starting with Jesus and the fig tree. You guys remember Jesus and the fig tree? I think Pastor Tori had somebody hold up a, a branch, right? Yeah, everybody remembers. Good. I see no heads nodding. Um, so we're going to... We're gonna, I'm going to give us one or two sentences that just outlines what that challenge was. I encourage you to take out something to write with and just jot down what has God been revealing to me over the last couple of months through these teachings. Right? So um, at the end of this, the band is going to come up. They're going to play a song. There's going to be questions, kind of generalized questions for you to spend some time in reflection on. You'll have like five minutes. So I just want to re- bring to mind some of the things we've been teaching. So a few weeks ago, we had Jesus and the fig tree. And the challenge to us was to consider whether or not we are bearing fruit in our lives, right? We asked ourselves, what are the areas where we claim to be followers of Jesus but fail to actually produce fruit that would point us to point to the fact that we do faithfully follow him? Where do we fail to love, to be kind, to be gracious, to be merciful, right? And then we, we looked at a passage where Jesus is challenged in his authority, so he responds with a few parables, and the first parable is the parable of the two sons. And we were challenged, um, or we, we looked at where we, where we might be prone to verbally commit our lives to the authority of Jesus, yet act in a way that doesn't reflect that commitment. Essentially, do my actions line up with what I claim I believe about God? And then Jesus taught this other parable with the tenants where we realize that our sin, if we're really looking at our sin, it's motivated by our desire to rule our own lives and to be our own God. And we were challenged to consider where is it in my life that I don't trust that God actually knows best and that he knows what's best for me? And where do I hold on to my own sense of power, whatever whatever gives me what I'm looking for, whether it's comfort or power or or, um, whatever it is? And then we had the third parable that Jesus taught in that when he was challenged in his authority, the parable of the wedding banquet, where um, we were challenged concerning the centrality of Jesus in our lives. The banquet was about Jesus, right? And we were challenged to consider, what is supreme in my heart? When it comes down to it, do I actually desire and want Christ, or do I desire and treasure something else? And then we, we looked through this tax to Caesar, and we were challenged in our, mis- in our understanding of the sovereignty of God, and we looked at marriage and resurrection, and we were challenged in our spiritual disciplines. Are we pursuing God in the scriptures? Do we desire to experience him in our lives? And just now, we were challenged in our motivations. Right? Are we motivated out of our love for God, love for others, or are we motivated out of love for ourselves, right? So the band's going to, or whoever, I don't know if it's the whole band or not, but if, if you're part of this, uh, they're going to come up now, um, and we're going we're gonna to journey through these questions. So they're going to play a song, and that, like I said, there's going to be three questions up here. So those are kind of the, the things that we've been working through over the last month and a half. Um, and during this song, I would love for, there's going to be three questions up here, um, and they, they're, they're helpful for us to analyze where we're at. So the first question is, what has God been revealing to me in the scriptures? So what's he revealing to me about himself, about his own character? Nothing about me yet. And then out of that, what's he exposing in my heart? What's he showing me that I need to work on? And then once I recognize that and I confess those things, 
where am I being called to be intentional to reflect those truths? So um, you're going to have about five minutes to journey through that, and then we're going to close and prepare for communion afterward. We're moving into our next kind of section of scriptures that we're going to be journeying through for the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, like I just said, we're, we're, we're close, closing down this, this idea where the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders at the time are challenging Jesus. Right? At the last verse that we're going to read here is, uh, from that day, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Right? So we're, we're closing down that time, and we're transitioning now to Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Pharisees have had their shot at him, and now he's going to start taking um, some shots at, at people, and, and righteously so. He's going to start calling people out. Um, and this is kind of the, 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 the transitional moment where he silences everybody, and this is how he does it. Um, and it's kind of weird exchange, um, but we're going to read through it. So uh, if you want to track with me, we're going to be in Matthew 22 again. Next verse, verses 41 through 46. Um, and we're going to go from there. And also, I am just going to pause and say, I, I, um, I hope we take... Even as we're talking, right, we're not going to have time to meditate again at the end of this, but even as we're engaging, feel free to jot down, continue to jot down notes on what you were just reflecting on. Continue to jot down notes from the, set, the first um, set of questions. The, the purpose of this is to help you to grow and understand what Jesus is, is doing in your life and, and how you're growing. So please feel free to continue to do that um, as we journey through these passages. So this is what the, um, the verse say, verses say. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Right, so same group of people, same Pharisees. They had just done, they had been asking him questions. Now Jesus is going to ask them some stuff. Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord. Right, this is David talking in the Psalms. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And then we have this line, which is kind of the purpose of this text. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him, meaning Jesus, any more questions. So Jesus is beginning to turn the tables on the religious leaders um, he's heard what the Pharisees have had to say, and he says, who's, son, who's the Messiah? Right? And at face value, it's kind of a weird exchange. Like, how is that the, the trump card that Jesus is playing um, to silence all of these questions that we've been journeying through? But it is. Um, and we have to keep in mind something significant going on. Matthew wrote a gospel, right? We're reading the letter that this guy Matthew wrote, and he wrote it to an audience, and that audience was Jewish, and they were educated in Jewish customs, and, and they knew a lot about what this psalm was talking about, probably more than we're familiar with. So I'm, I'm going to do our best to just give us some context about what's happening in the psalm and what Jesus is saying, because at face value, there's a lot that we could miss. Um, so Jesus, in, in, in this approach, asks about the Messiah. And the Messiah is this huge figure in Jewish belief. He's this person that was promised by God to save Israel. And the way that he was going to save Israel is kind of vague. Um, but he's promised by God nonetheless. And over time, there's this misconception that had been developed, that was developing about 
the Messiah. So Israel had been suffering for hundreds and hundreds of years. Even currently, when this is written, Israel is in a state of suffering. They're being oppressed by Romans. This goes back all the way to when Israel was exiled out of Jerusalem, right? Israel has been conquered by nation after nation after nation, and they haven't been their own autonomous nation. They are not ruling themselves. They are in, they're being oppressed. Some of those rulers were kind. Some of them were really, really harmful to them, right? So what happened was this idea of the Messiah, the Israelites started to picture him as a military figure, who was going to restore Israel back to its autonomous sovereignty as a nation. So when the Pharisees say the son of David, right, the Messiah in the Old Testament was supposed to be from the lineage of David, but when they say the son of David, right, what's going on there is the Pharisees are saying that the Messiah would be a man who would be just like David, because David had in the past delivered Israel from oppression from the Philistines, if you remember. And he had established, he had kind of been a part of establishing the kingdom of Israel. And that's what the people of Israel wanted. They wanted this person who was going to rid them from Roman oppression and establish a king in Israel who would be their Messiah, be their savior. Then they'd be a free, sovereign nation. Israel and the religious leaders had allowed their circumstance, their suffering, what they were experiencing, to determine their understanding of scripture and their understanding of who Jesus was. And Jesus, and they don't know Jesus is the Messiah at this point, but Jesus calls them out. In his response, he says, how can you say that the Messiah is a man like David when even David calls the Messiah Lord? And how the audience, how the Jewish audience would have heard that, they would have heard Jesus simply saying, the Messiah is so much more than just a man. He's not just a man who's going to redeem Israel. That's what the audience would have heard. They would have heard Jesus calling out the ignorance of the Jewish leaders and the false expectation of the Jewish leaders. So in the context, this is how Jesus is deciding to end the challenges. They kept coming at him to trap him in various ways. And he exposes that ultimately, these leaders have no idea what God is doing in their lives because they're so consumed by their own circumstances. They are supposed to be the shepherds of the people of Israel. They have no idea what God is doing because they are led by the things around them. They let their circumstances, their sufferings, their expectations inform how they understand God and what God was doing in their lives. They didn't understand who the Messiah was. They thought maybe the Messiah would be a savior of a particular circumstance, but God, and we know this, offers Jesus as the savior of life, right? the savior from self, the savior from sin. We talked about the Old Testament earlier, right? how God's original design was corrupted by sin. Right? And the Messiah is the redeemer of God's original design. He doesn't necessarily just fix circumstance. He brings humanity back to that original design, original intention. Right? He is so much more than someone who comes and fixes a circumstance. He's the one who comes and fixes humanity so that we can flourish in him. And the Pharisees had missed it. How often do we miss it? They recognized their ignorance, and it says they asked him no more questions. Jesus called him out, and they asked him no more questions. And it's a good time for us now to pause and reflect. Where might we be like the Pharisees here? 
right? The Pharisees, consumed by circumstance, even long-standing suffering, long-standing circumstances, that they missed the simple fact that Jesus was present with them, among them, and working with them and among them. We're going to head into a time of communion, and the band's going to come back up now. Um, And as they do, I want us to consider the work of Christ. Jesus is this person who's being challenged. He is the God-man who lived perfectly right, and also suffered greatly and died for us to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins so that we can flourish and experience joy in the midst of circumstance. Does he change our circumstances sometimes? Yes. Um, But he came to save us and offer us eternal hope, right? His death and resurrection that we're going to celebrate here in communion is something that offers us much more than a solution to circumstance. It offers us joy in the midst of circumstance, offers us eternal joy, right, as we navigate the world. And yet so often we're consumed by the circumstances around us. And we fail to recognize the joy that he offers. So um, as we have a little bit of time here to meditate as we approach communion, I encourage you to think about these two questions. And they might be up on the screen for a minute. But consider these questions. What are the circumstances I find that tend to consume me? And how does, as we approach the communion table, how does the great work of Jesus, right, the God-man who, who died on the cross, suffered greatly on the cross, we can live in him. How does that work impact the way that I journey through those circumstances? So whatever it is that I'm experiencing, whatever it is that I'm going through today, recently, over a long period of time, how does the fact that Jesus, as God, was crucified and risen again, how, do we, how does that impact the way we journey through that? I'm going to close us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time in your word. We ask that as we continue to worship you this morning, you would be glorified. You would reveal yourself to us in new and profound ways and be um, glorified as we respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.